Good morning, everybody. This is Stephen Keeter, and you're listening to the Free Speech Show. Uh, we have, as always, with us in the studio, Jay Westerveld. Good morning, Jay. <laughs> Good morning, Stephen. And it's a wonderful day outside, so we decided just to freestyle a little bit and uh, essentially to talk about uh, some local stuff and what, what's happening, what's going on. And uh, I know that, Jay, you have a show coming up on Monday. Oh, uh, yeah. And we've been uh, impressed with the sort of like this cast of uh, people that you bring into the show. It's always interesting to see and, uh, you know, get to know somebody new. Who you bring in this Monday? Oh, this Monday will be uh, a young lady who's been involved in the wine industry um, in New York, uh, Australia for a while, California originally, um, who was involved with uh, one of the first wine stores in New York City that worked under the auspice of the New York Farm Wineries uh, Act, things of that nature. She has a label now on the North Fork. She appeared on the cover of uh, Wine Spectator magazine. Oh, my. Yeah, really fascinating person who knows essentially everything about uh, the winery business here in New York State. It, it will be really interesting. And it's state-specific, because New York State, we, we know both, uh, just like, uh, you know, I come from the country that uh, there's two kind of Europe's we like to joke. There's a warm <laughs> one like Italy, yep. and there's a cold one like Germany and Russia, let's say. Sure, <laughs> so, sure. Yet, uh, German, uh, Germany is famous for their Rieslings and the wines and whites, and uh, of course, the Italy, totally different grace. But sure. yeah, there's some uh, specifics, I'm sure. Uh, the New York State is uh, producing. Me personally, I know that uh, north by uh, Niagara region, there's uh, ice wines. Of course. It's yielding very little, but those are very perfumey and beautiful and uh, could be just a drop of it to make a martini. Absolutely. Makes a hell of a difference. <laughs> Changes it. Yeah. And, 300%. Uh, so that that's very exciting. I'm looking forward to listen. Yeah, it's cool. And you know, the they. North, well, the east end of Long Island has its own microclimate, and it's uh, a lot more similar to that of the Med. Uh, so they actually have uh, respectable reds out there. Um, and they even, you know, they produce a lot of mash for other wineries throughout the state that can still be uh, vinted elsewhere as New York wines under that act because they're still, you know, an ag product of New York State. The east end of Long Island, <clears throat> and I went to school out there, uh, really is an incredible a wine growing region, you know, and it, it was originally duck farms and potato farms, but it, it stays rather warm. It, they don't really have harsh winters, uh, you know, unlike the rest of the state. Um, a lot of sun, uh, a little longer growing season than here. And uh, again, really reputable reds, you know, great whites too, but uh, a lot of fun. Still the, the real comer in terms of, uh, you know, regions. I see. Now, we have a number of uh, wineries and breweries. That seems to be a happening trend as well for the Hudson Valley. I'm actually looking at Hudson Valley Wine Magazine, sure. and which is, uh, you know, if anybody, that's where your passion lies, so to speak. Uh, we have, uh, and, and Warwick uh, boasts a number of uh, wineries as well. Yeah, you know, I'm not that familiar with Warwick's. Um, yeah, I know Warwick Valley Winery, of course. They do a phenomenal job, a great place. And man, they really bring people in. They they really deliver the whole package. You know, it's not just their wine; it's everything. And I, for a while, if I'm not mistaken, and they can certainly correct me, um, they had the only fruit distillery in the state. I think. I mean, it's changed since then. A right. lot of people have followed suit, but I know they were real avatars of uh, fruit distillation there the, the for fruit, the state. Fruit wines are actually uh, very. Uh, 
I remember growing up and, uh, you know, the countries like Ukraine and Moldova, where grapes are not a big, trendy kind of opening things. The wine is made out of apples and uh, essentially whatever else you can, uh, kind of berries, anything you can think of. Sure, sure. And not just the wine, but, uh, you know, a lot of the spirits. Like, uh, I I presume in Ukraine you must have had um, your own versions of, like, uh, Slivovice and the the plum. Yep. Uh, and anything goes like uh, plum and apples and pears uh, and sure. it, it imparts a totally different flavor now Slivovice if I'm not mistaken that that's sort of like a tincture that that's a yes. higher spirit uh, that has been sort of steeped in, in uh, with with the fruits uh, along the exactly and you know uh, with, with my uh, extended time uh, n- numerous uh, stays in Central Europe uh, where I was previously even a resident um, Slivovica was used even, you know, if you got a cut or something, or if you had a cold. Oh, a, <laughs> I mean, everything. Cure, cure for everything, you know? Any, any excuse you could find to guzzle Slivovica, they would find, oh my God, a black cat crossed my path. Oh, quick, drink this. That's not enough. <laughs> Have another. Doesn't, if uh, Slivovica doesn't help, there's no cure for. Sure. That, that's the last resort kind of uh, remedy. Are you familiar with uh, Bekarovka? Yes. That's a strange one because of the herbs and stuff in it. Exactly. That, that's <laughs> mostly, but you know, uh, once again, I think the Bekirovka comes from Czech Republic. It does. And it's got wormwood, which of course, you know, we, we know isn't even oh, it's legal a, to drink. A, a hallucinogenic. Yeah. This is what originally was uh, in uh, the spirit that no longer exists, that has been banned that all the Dutch painters used uh, to. Perno? No, no, no. It's a green collar. Uh, yeah, yeah. The, uh, what's somebody call in with the name? Uh, it starts uh, with an A. Um, yeah, here we Edgar go. Allan Poe drank who, it like crazy. Yeah, and whoever calls, uh, we have uh, some tickets to give away. So anybody who uh, calls the program and six five one eleven ten is the number, and uh, we'll get uh, four tickets uh, to the driving theater here it's in Warwick. St- it starts with the letters A B S. <laughs> so <laughs> give it a try. <laughs> But anyway, yeah, so New York uh, has, has been a real up-and-coming wine region. And, you know, in the past 20-plus uh, years ago, people associated it more with whites because of, you know, um, western New York, uh, Niagara region, as you pointed out. But it really, the New York's reds, you know, on the world scale, I don't, uh, no. they may not be there yet, but they're not bad. You know, there, there are some decent ones. I mean, you know, I was fortunate, you know, I say it almost every show. My Italian grandfather, he always had like uh, 1950s uh, Barolos in, in uh, you know, in the cellar. And uh, so at family meals and stuff, we were a little spoiled with the Italian wines, uh, which was nice. Italian and French reds can't be beaten, but, you know, New York's getting there. Uh, Napa Valley, uh, you know, especially oh. Washington State uh, boasting lately. I mean, Napa, some cult wines absolutely uh, out of this world. I, uh, a modest collector, you know. I've <laughs> modest. Seen some, I've seen some really cool collections i think uh, the restaurant latour in vernon is boasting and they claiming that to be the biggest uh, collection in the northern hemisphere i have i kind of agree because i wasn't uh, uh, sort of like impressed by the claim but i was very deeply impressed by the wine list and they're they're essentially at mountain creek or at uh, one of the courses, the y- golf courses? yeah 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 that that's uh, Oh gosh, uh, it's Appalachian. Uh, it's not Appalachian Hotel. It's right. Yeah, the Appalachian Crystal Crystal. Okay, so Crystal Springs. Crystal Springs. Yeah, sure, right. of course. Oh yeah. yes, no, I've I've done uh, Easter brunches there. Yep. And did you actually see their wine cellar? Oh yes. 
<laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> oh, yes. Oh, many times. Many times. Uh, actually, every time I would like, uh, even, you know, like, you, you could take uh, a tour. You can have a dinner in there. and uh, In the wine cellar. In the wine cellar. And the wine cellar itself is divided into sort of like sections. You can see some wines that pre-Napoleon over there, some French first growth Bordeaux. And uh, it's very impressive. I hope they have amazing security. I I believe alongside the then owner and vivid collector, uh, Mulvihal family uh, owns the, or owned that, uh, and uh, him uh, and I believe uh, Marvin Schenken, uh, the uh, editor of the Wine Spectator and uh, Cigar Aficionado magazines. I believe they both commissioned, or maybe just Mulvihal commissioned, First and only, maybe not n- anymore, but that was uh, back in the days, it was first MRI machine that allowed you to scan the wine at the auction, let's say, and see whether it's uh, spoiled or not. That's amazing. And that How MRI machine even... is on the display in, in the wine cellar as well. Uh, All right. Uh, I'm just getting the signs that we're going on the first breaks and uh, to have some uh, words from our sponsors. And we'll talk to you right after the break. Sam's Meat Warehouse is a butcher with old-time family values. Remember back in the day when people knew their butcher by name and visiting them was a social experience? They would talk to customers about how to cook a piece of meat to perfection. Sam's combines old-world methods with modern techniques. Call your favorite butcher, Sam's, at 845-651-MEAT or visit the store right off 17A in Florida, New York, for the highest quality products at unbeatable prices. I'm gonna make this place your home. This is Christine Koenig, Grace Warren, Marsha Talbot of Better Homes and Gardens Rand Realty and the hosts of The Real Real Estate Show Mondays at 10 a.m. We're here to help you out. Hi, this is Dr. Pierre Louis, a clinical psychologist. I will take your calls and I will answer all your personal and business relationship questions, helping you create a life healthy in mind, body, and spirit every Friday at 11 a.m. WTBQ. All right, and we're back with free, uh, free speech. Uh, Stephen Keeter and Jay Westerwald here. We're talking uh, about wine and the guest that uh, Jay's going to have on Monday on his show, which I'm very excited to hear. And uh, so maybe uh, you can tell us uh, the, once again who is coming. Uh, for somebody who missed, and uh, what are we going to be talking on Monday? Or oh, we're going to be talking about... Uh Wine in New York State, sort of a brief history of the renaissance of uh, New York wines, New York Farm Winery Act, um, local wineries. And uh, this individual has a a label out on uh, the North Fork of Long Island, the East End uh, near Greenport, where some of New York's best uh, wineries really are. And again, some of the great suppliers of mash for other wineries. Um, but to hear who the guest is, et cetera, people are just going to have to tune in on Monday morning at 11 a.m. Yeah, here on TBQ. And uh, we were just talking about other uh, offbeat European drinks, et cetera. But, but here in New York, we do have Warwick Valley Winery. I, mm-hmm. I'm familiar with those. Um, here in Warwick, Stephen, do you remember the names of any of the others locally? Because I remember Demarest Hill was sort of a player yeah. for a while. I don't know if they're still in existence. Uh, uh, I, I know that people who are interested, especially we know that that's a big draw for the local tourism. Sure. Uh, and uh, there's a special wine trail maps exist. I, uh, me personally, 
I remember, and I've been a couple of times to um, Brotherhood Winery. Uh, yeah, America's oldest operating. Oldest, absolutely. Yep. Oldest in operation, uh, survived through the uh, Depression and the... Uh, Sacramental wines. Yeah. yeah. And dry law, uh, yep. you know, prohibition uh, period. So uh, very impressive vets, very rich history. Uh, decent wine, in my opinion. Uh, I don't like anything sweet, but that's what uh, sort of like tends to, you know, come up for Christmas wine. Sure. Their like their holiday, which is essentially... You know, it's it's a lot of the things that maybe didn't quite make the cut, so they spice it and sell it as a mulled uh, yep. wine. You know, pre-mulled, uh, bottled mulled. Modified, uh, they call it. I believe yep. uh, modified, uh, which which some of them absolutely phenomenal. And fortified. Uh, and, and uh, well, sweet. I, I guess uh, I remember traveling through Tokai region of Hungary. I was like so impressed with all those uh, huge caves. And you would uh, you could see that those humongous vats and where it matures. You know, and uh, through the marketplaces that you go through Hungary and uh, everybody comes in with their own little canisters. Absolutely, like, like a growler. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Moravia in um, Western uh, Czech Republic, very similar. People come up with an empty ones. Absolutely. And uh, walk out with the full ones. And I, I'm like, uh, some of them like small and some of them like five gallons and you almost like a, you know, canister for the gas tank. Oh, yeah, yeah. Whereas really, uh, you know, in, in some nations, that's breakfast. You know, it's sort of like the pivo. That's very true. That, that, is, that is very true. And those nations, by the way, are not known for the large uh, alcohol uh, consumption either. No, no. It's, it's a really interesting dynamic. And it's one that's, you know, maybe poorly understood here in the States um, if, for a number of factors. And, you know, you mentioned prohibition earlier. Prohibition really brought about a lot of cultural changes in America um, very interesting. Uh, you know, it, people don't realize that the musical style jazz actually originated in America. A lot of styles actually originated here, including techno, obviously Motown, rock and roll, uh, surf, innumerable uh, musical styles. But jazz started here too, and the Prohibition era really brought about a change in sound. And a lot of people don't understand that the reason for that, to a degree, was because well, obviously speakeasies with, uh, you know, homemade whiskey, et cetera. But also a lot of jazz musicians and a lot of jazz fans tended to use marijuana because it was technically something they could get away with back then that wasn't frowned upon like alcohol was at the time. So it sort of changed the sound and the feel. And that's why you got that randomness that maybe classically would associate with like a Frederick Chopin or someone like that, where it sounds like chaos, but it's repeatable. Yeah, so see people uh, look for inspiration in uh, different substances. Sure. We just spoke about absent. Oh, yeah. And uh, we did have a caller coming in identifying that uh, drink that many Dutch painters were looking for inspiration in. And that changed their yeah. style. Oh, and for I sure. think we went to full circle. So marijuana is back in favor once again. <laughs> that's a great point yeah i mean think about like somebody like van gogh and uh insanity you know um it, it it's amazing the way spirits and other substances absolutely alter a collective culture artistically that way you know and um it's thankfully it's not so much the case now <laughs> presently God only knows where our culture is going now. You know, we're being more shaped by a pandemic than we are by things that people um, outwardly enjoy. But again, you know, locally, we do have some nice wineries. They do tend to bring people in. Places like Warwick Valley Winery bring in entertainment, uh, fantastically popular. We have more distilleries than we, we've had in probably over, yeah, certainly over 100 years. 
yeah, right brew, here in Orange County. Brewer is popping up. Uh, oh, sure, sure. People growing hops in the yeah. black dirt, which is pretty impressive. It is, it is. Because, uh, you know, like if you're familiar, you drive through Germany and you see essentially endless, and this is the main crop, especially in Bavaria. Oh, you you drive to Bavaria, and every village, uh, they grow their own variety, and this, every village has their own little brewery or a few of them, and that is the main crop, so to speak. Did you... It, now, I don't know if you had it so much in Ukraine. I, I know in the Czech Republic, when it was Czechoslovakia, especially, they used to have collectives whereby everybody from uh, Praha and the, uh, Prague and the other cities would have to get together and go into the countryside to help the national uh, production oh, by yes, harvesting. Yes, 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 we did it. I, I actually did it. I grew up in school and we used to do this. Ah. <laughs> uh, we, you know, they would lift up the busloads of kids yep. uh, and just take it into the country and uh, we would... Uh, help we we were helping with mostly see ukrainian main crop was sugar beets we were sort of like sugar producing country and wow for it forever and now i didn't know that and it's it's interesting to know now when i was a child <coughs> in the 60s and 70s <laughs> i hate to say that um sugar beets were incredibly popular on the west coast we actually here in america grew sugar beets for sugar and then um a couple of enormous uh uh, biotech corporations decided no we have to get all of our sugar from corn in america see, so corn you know uh, came, and uh, the sugar beet yeah the, the sugar beet uh, in the alluvial soils of uh, certainly monterey county um and others you know was perfect for sugar beets but it was effectively killed and they went back to things like certainly carrots lettuce and um artichokes instead of sugar well, beets so it's you know it, it's funny and we see that locally in our black dirt which is such an essential part of our Orange County culture, and for people outside the county in our listening area in New York City and Pennsylvania and Northern New Jersey, you know, the black dirt is our Hudson Valley equivalent of the mucklins of um, Western New York. It's this organic soil, essentially like peat moss, but much more black and much more uh, degraded in a positive way, where we have these large flat areas that were reclaimed uh, they started to be reclaimed originally by uh, British immigrants who sort of gave up because it was such incredibly hard work. And then a wave of Polish immigrants came in here to Warwick, New York, and uh, other nearby areas, New Hampton, et cetera, and reclaimed it by going in and just through hard, incredibly backbreaking work, removed all the trees, drained the swamps, et cetera, and uh, made it arable soil for vegetables and in recent years unfortunately they've had horrible struggles they've lost a lot of subsidies a lot of help from the government um my dear friend chris pavelski one of the foremost onion producers uh certainly of the hudson valley and beyond and a brilliant guy by the way as well uh, his farm, he, he had to go in a different direction. And for a while, obviously, speaking of uh, the way spirits and hallucinogens, et cetera, drive culture, they drive farming changes, too. And a lot of people were starting to grow cannabis locally uh, oh, yeah. for the, CBD. The Pine Island, uh, you know, in the Black Dirtition, uh, it seems like everybody from uh, onion-producing fields were replaced by uh, different types of uh, cannabis and, uh, you know, different uh, color and brighter and browner and uh, whatnot. Um, I don't think it came uh, to such a fruitful, uh, you know, conclusion, so to speak. No, it didn't. And it's interesting, um, just speaking from firsthand conversation, um, I remember a lot of really knowledgeable 
long experienced multi-generational black dirt farmers said, look, this cannabis thing, it may just be a flash in the pan. They didn't say it quite so diplomatically. And, um, you know, I, I, I want to see everything do well. I think we all do, like we say on every show, a rising tide lifts all ships. And I think we wanted to see the cannabis industry do well, but I think they're facing some struggles presently. I know that that collective system that we talked about in Eastern and Central Europe, especially under the under um, socialism, where kids would go from the cities to help harvest. I don't think that will ever happen with cannabis. <laughs> <laughs> I just don't see that working out. I mean, sugar beets are uh, much friendlier, you know. <laughs> <laughs> sure, much more kid friendly. But anyway, so that's uh, that's who my guest is going to be, a lady involved in uh, New York wineries, and tune in on Monday to find out more about that. But locally, um, Stephen, we normally talk about your project, et cetera, and thankfully we haven't had to. Uh, well, yeah, I haven't uh, heard much uh, from the opposition lately. Uh, we, uh, we usually uh, keep it sort of like I was trying to develop a dialogue of sort rather than just them slinging mud in one direction. Uh, and we invited uh, the outmost people who picketed the station and uh, made some claims and signs and whatnot uh, to call. Uh, that, that still stands. The, the invitation is still on the table. Uh, I believe Mr. Michael Panning was our last guest. Uh, he did a great job, too. He's, a, he's a, an interesting, funny guy. But, you know, it's uh, obviously anybody who has an opinion uh, to, to express or point to convey is welcome, uh, as long as it's done in a nice manner. He did uh, has his own beliefs. He, you know... And we try to understand, understand him and his actions and where that's coming from. So if uh, he's still listening, I know we have a, a quite a captive audience. Uh, please call in and uh, let us know what you think. There's m better ways to communicate other than harassment, following up, making lies, and putting all those on social media where you can get away with it. Yeah, and thankfully he's not one of the social media screamers uh, or any of that. You know, th this happens. I'm just... <sighs> Returning to Warwick after not being here much at all in a long time, I'm stunned by the compositional change of the people here. It used to be a place where you could talk about things. If you had a disagreement with your neighbor, you could talk about it. You might not get along, but you accepted, hey, we have different opinions. Now it's this sort of strange, faceless, uh, like you say, picketing, protesting, social media uh, deriding of others. And that's easy to do, but you know, we'll talk about more when we get back from this, I think, Stephen. Sam's Meat has been supplying restaurants and shops with the highest quality local and sustainably sourced prime and choice wholesale meat, steaks, poultry, seafood, and much more for over 20 years. Whether you're a small family butcher shop or a busy steakhouse, expect A1 service and the finest products available. Call Sam's at 845-651-MEAT or visit the store right off Route 17A in Florida, New York for the highest quality products at unbeatable prices. Hi, it's Paul Ruskevich, Barry Cheney, and John Vero. Orange County legislators on the Thursday morning roundtable, 9 to 10 a.m. Answering all of your questions and concerns on WTBQ, radio worth listening to. Clark Howard. This is Clark Howard. Every time I use an ATM, I shake where the card goes in to see if there's any looseness to it at all. If there is, I just automatically don't use that ATM. Clark Howard, weekdays from 1 till 3. WTBQ for the afternoon, look for clouds and some sun, and with a cold front moving through, 
can't rule out a brief shower, but likely staying dry 65 to 70. Mainly clear and cooler tonight into the mid-30s. Sunday, sun gives way to increasing afternoon clouds. Much cooler 50 to 55. Showers later Sunday night and Monday. From the WTBQ Weather Center, I'm WeatherWorks meteorologist John Leo. WTBQ. All right, and we're back with the free speech uh, with Stephen Keeter and Jay Westervelt. We were talking uh, about the project about Pulpit Rock Inn that uh, I'm as a developer have an application in front of the Warwick uh, town of Warwick. Um, and I just wanted to uh, give out there a little bit more information. I know we've been, uh, I've been accused of uh, being death uh, to public sentiment and not being willing to, I just have a different vision. I believe that will benefit the community in the long run and uh, immediately in, in the form of taxes, uh, creating jobs. Uh, we hear the, the same kind of uh, uh, statement from uh, other people, but it seems like when I make them, that, that annoys the hell out of uh, some particular people. So for, to those, I, I, I'm going to say, and following up your uh, sort of uh, challenge or uh, dare me to list, I, we're working on the listing. I will give you a chance to take a stab at it. You mean selling yes, the, the yes, parcel? Yes, because I, I honestly believe all those people, they, they had a chance, they never acted on it. They never uh, took upon themselves to do anything in regards to preservation or acquiring or uh, purchasing the there's, lot. You know what, Stephen, there's a lot of that with your opposition. It was on the market for certainly over 10 Number years, I think years. close to 20. Uh, absolutely, and it and went uh, into negotiation and it uh, almost happened, but it never did. But in between, nobody, nobody uh, stepped up and said, you know what, we would like to do something different. But they, you know, your, your most vociferous challengers start saying, well, you know, why, why did you buy it? You know, we would have liked to have bought it, but it was for sale all that time. And they sort of say, oh, I missed it. Somehow I missed that listing. You know, one of them living, or numerous uh, of them really, most of your um, opponents are people who live right there and don't want to see it. And they, they would have known about the fact that it was for sale. But this also speaks to the people who spoke against the public process and about Warwick's incredibly fair unbiased planning board saying that, oh, well, you know, you didn't give the public a chance to speak. And you pointed out, Stephen, hey, there were two public hearings, one more than I even was had to do at the time. I just wanted to do the right thing. And the one fellow who called in, who was a former planning board member, said, oh, um, mm, I missed those. Yeah. yeah, yeah, for the village, right. I, somehow he missed those. No, so, it's it, like with every public... Uh, Hearing everything is uh, publicized. Everything is uh, the letters uh, has been mailed. The, it's uh, constantly in the newspaper, and everybody who wants to stay on top of things. Like I've been, uh, like Mr. Mike Panning said that we were never allowed to do anything with it. And I count and ask by whom, uh, because he the, the kind of claims that he's making, it takes time, it takes effort, it takes money to turn. Uh, something, and I guess I have a reputation, uh, you know, taking something that is nothing and making something out of it. Sure. Um, you know, uh, you know, the the uh, on the West Street when uh, I put some uh, homes that that was once again that belonged property belonged to Penning. That was the very few last buildable lots in the village. They were very steep, and sort of almost unbuildable. And I heard from different builders that they have never imagined that that could have become something that what it is today. 
So it takes, uh, it, it just takes an effort. Uh, and a lot of people who take uh, the path of least resistance, uh, obviously, you know, then they start crying and uh, whining about not being able to buy. You never tried. That, that's my answer to you. you so just now, never tried. now you're actually, I don't presume you want to sell it because no, I know you want to sell your that's, vision. That's the last thing that I actually, I would like to see the project go through. But, uh, you know, enough is enough when I hear that, that uh, you know, screaming crowd and uh, they saying, well, we, uh, we, you never gave us a chance. And there's a lot of, uh, you know, accusations or, you know, speculations surrounding whether some office has. So here's made. the chance. Here's a chance. Yeah, yeah you're going to do it. You're going to put I'm it on gonna, the market. I'll, I'd like to do like a very uh, short, limited time listing. I don't want to sell it, but uh, I want to offer for those people. Put your money where your mouth is and come up and try to do something about it. Okay, now I hear you, but as you say, you're doing that offer for those people to come up and put their money where their mouth is. And we touch upon this in the last show, Stephen. You can't make it available only to them, right? You can't discriminate, if I'm not mistaken. No, and that's where I think is the, the that's the danger of uh, you know the, because once again, the, there's many different uses that uh, me or any other developer could have picked that within a law to use within a law, uh, and some of the, and trust me, the uh, allowed use number forty one, which reads hotel. Uh, motels, uh, resorts, and health uh, spas is not the worst of them. It no, I, I would actually. It's a very good use, as you know. We've said uh, ad nauseum uh, for Warwick. What are some of, if you don't mind me asking, Stephen? I don't know what you're comfortable talking about. Um, what, um, what are some of the other uses? I mean, there's a lot of a lot of talk on social media about a lot of parcels having just recently been purchased, and people are very worried about the entities that have purchased them. Um, some you know, religious communities, et cetera, have purchased some of them. Uh, that's one of the allowed uses, by the way, as well. Uh, religious, What's that? Uh, churches or religious uh, establishments. Oh, so, so that churches, temples, synagogues, et cetera. Uh, yep. Um, I mean, that wouldn't be a bad thing, but it's there, certainly... There are over 100 uses of a specific designated uh, wow. zonings, and there's different residential uses. There's zones. It's divided by zones <coughs> AI, RU, MT, CO. This happened to be a CL, uh, which is low density residential. Gotcha. Uh, primary use is uh, one family dwellings, um, but the two two family dwellings are allowed with with the permit, uh, and uh, then uh, there's on and on and on and on, and the list goes on. And out out of those uh, more than a hundred allowed uses for a variety of zones, we still have uh, probably once again. Uh, among those uses, there's some, like you said, for churches, temples, and synagogues. There's some for uh, even cell towers. There's some for <laughs> bus garages and mechanical rooms and cemeteries. Yeah, I mean, there's and, a bus garage right across the way. Yeah. And that's, I mean, if people want a bus garage at Pulpit Rock. Let, let me ask you something really quickly, because I'm not clear on this, and maybe a lot of listeners aren't, Stephen. For your use, you had to jump some extra steps. It, it's an allowed use, but there were still some other with, with things. With the used. special permit use. Special yes. permit mm -hmm. use. A, a house of worship, a religious uh, temple or synagogue, uh, would they have to do the same thing, or is that just a pro forma allowed uh, use? I'm going to have to. No, no, no. The, uh, the main use is, like I said, it's a single family residential. So, the, so anything those, else? Those are to... still allowed for, with the special use permit. Special use permit. Okay. But, but it's uh, still allowed. And once again, uh, what we're proposing, and especially right now, it's more relevant than ever. And everybody who heard what I was speaking and the way we're proposing the concept of the hotel, it's not a, 
soap box like Ramada Inn. It's uh, no. divided and built as a colonial village and with the cottages that uh, house the limited number of units and especially right now in a time of COVID, just one should think how easy it is to isolate, how easy it is to uh, sanitize and uh, to keep... Uh, with individual dwellings, you mean, absolutely. like these cottages. It's a great point. I never thought of that. Um, I know that... <clears throat> Now, I remember you have to be aware of in Europe how they have far, far um, more stringent air purification oh, systems absolutely. very commonly. It, 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 is coming, it, it is coming to the States. It's sort of like making a very slow advance. But I think after this, especially this year, what we experienced during uh, this year, it's, it's going to be a game changer. So everything, we did employ a number of new technologies, new techniques, uh, even the buildings that I built throughout the village and uh, the um, I think my latest project a uh, couple of years ago, uh, building at uh, 20 Spring Street. Now that's in itself is the most energy efficient building. That in itself, every unit is, has uh, one uh, you know designated uh, or, or single use furnace and air exchange system. Um, we used some masonry, some hardy plank. That hardy plank, by the way, has been donated by uh, oh, oh, John Hardy Corporation in sure. exchange to use the image of the building in the professional literature and catalogs. Wow. It's been fe featured in some professional uh, literature. Yeah. That's a place with the sort of alternative health uh, businesses on yeah. the ground mm -hmm. floor. Uh, that, yeah, that's that's a beautiful building. Um, what what it, it has those funny sort of arches, those masonry arches and those... Those, triple globe lights that 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 is uh, indiana limestone okay uh, those uh, so is the balustrade uh, and uh, the brick is a handmade uh, cambridge uh, it's mind-blowing to me because when i go down that street and now i actually try to go down there and take a look as much as i can um it's it looks like a building that would have been built in the 1800s like the buildings on railroad ave this beautiful brick very very strong, imposing structure. You well, know? we did uh, work with the architectural review board uh, for the village, even th though we are not in a uh, historical overlay district. Uh, we did listen. We did to take uh, everything they had to say into consideration. And uh, the idea was to build something, to put it in, so it kind of... Uh, belongs it fits into the character of the building and yeah. you delivered on that and presumably these cottages for the pulpit rock Inn, similarly um and i've seen some of the plans obviously uh look a lot like the homes we'd see on colonial ave uh along west street yep. etc maple ave um is there a chance you could work with those very advanced filtration systems absolutely. for your HVAC? Absolutely, and uh, with, uh, like I said, with every year, the even though we did far and beyond what, what is required by building code. Building code is sort of like, it's, it's a good standard to go by, but there's always chance to, uh, you know, to raise up the bar. Sure. And uh, I've, like lately, it, like I said, those advances, those of uh, whole house purification system, the uh, air supply system, they were, they have a presence on American market. They're not in a wide use yet, but the code is changing, getting more stringent. Like I believe uh, four years ago, the September of uh, uh, 2017, maybe uh, we have another update to a New York. Uh, Yes. Building code where it was acquired a blow test became mandatory, 
And that came from uh, California, who had it uh, adopted it prior to New York State. And Calif- to California, it came from Europe, from uh, countries like Germany, who are leading, spe- heading the effort on everything. You have to remember, while America is a land of plenty, uh, in Europe, uh, you know, the... the, the, the <laughs> the countries are small, the resources are limited, uh, everything is measured, uh, you know, they, uh, in terms of conservation, the water that's always used, all those plugs uh, that we never see on American uh, sinks. Yes. Every house, every household in Europe has one. You plug it in, you fill up the tub, you use it, uh, you know. So, but we'll come back again after the another break and we'll continue with it. Meat Warehouse is a butcher with old-time family values. Remember back in the day when people knew their butcher by name and visiting them was a social experience? They would talk to customers about how to cook a piece of meat to perfection. Sam's combines old-world methods with modern techniques. Call your favorite butcher, Sam's, at 845-651-MEAT or visit the store right off 17A in Florida, New York for the highest quality products at unbeatable prices. Hi, this is Michael Newhart, Mayor of the Village of Warwick, inviting you to tune in every Thursday at 11 a.m. to Village Life and learn about the village happenings. Call and share your ideas, comments, and suggestions, and be part of the show with me and Mary Kalora. Hi, this is Wild Baby Love. Start your Sunday with me at 6 a.m. and Gospel Tracks. I'll give you the phone number to the faith phone line and the address to the website. All that and much, much more right here on Gospel Tracks with yours truly, Wild Baby Love. WTBQ. Okay, and we're back on air again. Uh, Jay Westervelt here in the studio. Stephen Keeter is your host. And we're talking about the proposed Pulpit Rock Inn and uh, some essentially new uh, technologies that can be used and will be used that right now go through um, in the construction applied and uh, in the hospitality industry. Uh, speaking about which, uh, I know, Jay, you have uh, sort of like touched uh, <laughs> to it and uh, sort of like an expert in, in certain fields that has to do with hospitality industry. I know before we met, uh, you wrote that uh, wonderful uh, opinion, a letter to the editor. Sure. And I had to do my homework, so to speak, due diligence, in which I always look up people who, uh, you know, I'm interested in uh, and... Uh, the first thing that comes up of anybody who Googles you up, and it's very simple, if uh, please check it out, you, you Google Jay Westerveld, the very term that comes in is greenwashing. Can you tell us more about it and what, it's, what is that all about? <laughs> sure. Um, well, it's something that's, you know, been around. We've been seeing it since uh, at least the 70s. Uh, I gave it the term uh, based on a hotel industry practice that was in the 1980s in the South Pacific um, and it's greenwashing is just where people try to make something look environmentally positive, just really to f- push their own agenda or to make money. In this case, it, it had to do with the towels. Uh, you know, you go to a hotel, sometimes it says in the bathroom, Hey, please help us to save the earth by reusing your towels, throw them on the 
floor if you want them washed, hang them up if you don't need them washed, which is great. It'd be a nice way to uh, save water, but really it's to save money and laundering costs. And we know that. And so I joked about it because I was staying in a, I won't get into it, but a guest house in the South Pacific, really grubby place. And we used to go to a better known big place. This is in the Fiji Islands uh, surfing. Uh, we used to go to a bigger place just to steal their towels. It was a long time ago. I think the statute <laughs> of limitations is up and it's international. But um, I saw one of those signs and I stole it. <laughs> I just had to, you know, I said, what is this? And I thought about it. And this was this hotel that was destroying coral reefs, putting this huge development. And they're talking about, um, you know, saving the world. So it's ironic that... You know, I wrote a letter to the editor supporting your project, and you looked me up and you said, "My God, this guy hates hotels." But I don't. I mean, I'm I'm an obligate user. I'm in hotels far too much, um, and not in hotel parking lots like some of our callers, <laughs> but actually in the you know having to use hotels, traveling. And what I like is that your idea really wants to utilize uh, eco-integration and true sustainability, not, not these faux sustainability measures, but you want to make this a model for hotels afterward. Where I would say even a standard. Uh, a standard, better, yeah, yeah, much better expression. And I'd like to see that happen. And honestly, I'm really excited to be a part of that. And the measures that you well, have considered and, and suggested and the measures that i've brought up i think are going to be groundbreaking and put warwick on yet another really cool green map a truly green map and not just more of the greenwash that we see unfortunately coming from a <clears throat> some organizations that, that greenwash term did uh, take off and that became uh, internationally recognized and i believe it's uh, even today a lot of uh, it's still uh, weekly it's weekly if, yeah i see i so i <laughs> Uh, I don't mean to sound weird, but um, I, I have a search thing set up, and every time it comes up as a hit, I get a notification. At least every week, um, some international news source, uh, let's see, this past week it was uh, Nikkei uh, Journal out of Japan brought it up. Uh, two weeks ago, Wall Street Journal um, once you know, citing my name, not just the term. This is Absolutely. what actually mentioned. British Guardian, me. I believe, is the one who published an, uh, an original essay, right? What's that? Uh, was it British Guardian? Uh, oh no, the Guardian. They just picked up the story uh, a few years ago. That and they did a really nice job. They, you know, as you know, I'm a really hard guy to find, and they 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 tracked my keister down, and uh, they found me in Central Asia, and I did just an online interview with them. Actually, on Facebook Messenger, I did an interview with the Guardian's uh, reporter. Couldn't talk to him on the phone because I was in an area where I only had sat phone. And um, they did a wonderful article. No, but the original thing was in uh, our college paper. Uh, it was called The Windmill. And um, I thought it was lost, and then it got picked no, up by the did, Times. No, actually, that, that made quite a splash and an impact on the hospitality industry. I'm yes, it did, to a point where, very honestly, I've checked into hotels and really gotten the hairy eyeball from the clerk <laughs> uh, at times. But with your hotel and it's not a motel your hotel the pulpit rock inn or potentially the inn at pulpit rock um it's going to set new standards uh and not just the usual things that you're definitely implementing like the uh pervious parking sur services mm -hmm. and things like that but we're going to do a lot of new things that work more with ecological integration and not just sustainability so not just you harnessing some solar power and um 
you know, you're trying to reuse water intelligently, things of that nature, but also make it more nature friendly. I mean, having a milkweed garden uh, for monarch butterflies and other pollinator gardens. I've said it on your show before that to me, that's going to be one of the big plumes uh, in which I'm interested, but also utilizing the rock itself that people call pulpit rock as a central point for beautiful plantings and um, for some rare plants that are obligate users of that kind of stone, it's going to look phenomenal. That brings me back to the very statement that I made at the beginning of the project that I would like to see that the stone, that rock, to become a focal point, not just the proposed project, but the whole community. Yeah, it's, it's kind of forgotten the way it is now. Yeah, and this is what actually, this is once again, I'm coming back and I'm saying that the, what we are trying to, uh, what, what I'm proposing is actually going to open up to the public. It's going to uh, still uh, preserve it in a public use, uh, as a public use property where everybody's welcome and everybody's allowed to come in and enjoy. Uh, because if that will get developed, and once again, the people who are, the pushing for it in a different direction. The, that uh, friend of ours who we mentioned on the radio, who is no longer allowed to call or storm in here uninvited. <laughs> yeah, that was uh, really know, gross. He said, well, build three houses. Please do it. And my question is why? Why would you want to go for something that will allow that property to be lost forever? Stephen, look, I can answer it really easily for you. And uh, I don't know if I've ever said it directly, but if another person... If a person with a very English surname and uh, you know uh, an American accent were doing the same thing, May all these Mayflower descendants in that exactly way. <laughs> a Mayflower descendant were doing this, these people would be applauding it. They would be going nuts for it. Bottom line is, we have some wannabe Mayflower descendants locally who just don't like your accent, man. Bottom line, hey, I'm from here. I I can speak to this with authority. Uh, they simply don't like your accent. They want to masquerade it as some sort of faux altruism on their point. But these are just people who want Warwick only for Warwickians. Uh, some of your biggest opponents scream and yell about your Spring Street properties. They're real, And when you see what they're saying on social media, you realize after a while they don't like the fact that some of the tenants are Spanish speakers. This is what it comes down to. You have a lot of, I like to call them dog patch aristocrats. They're people who... They're sort of hillbillies in Warwick. Their surnames maybe carry a lot of weight. Once they step out of Warwick, they may as well be from a trailer park. Nobody's heard of them. Nobody you know, cares. It's, it's, and they hold I, on. They cling. And I, they I have to say, I have never felt as a subject to, to that. Um, this is not how I personally feel. Uh, I lived in a number of uh, countries worldwide. I've, uh, you know, for a brief period, I've been to Germany and Switzerland and Africa. And uh, I still have to, to admit and say America is that melting pot. It is sure. the greatest country on earth. Yes, there's nothing wrong with the microphone. I am speaking with an accent. But to my defense and sort of like an excuse, but yeah, I can do it in five languages. So for those who <laughs> sort of hold it against me, uh, you know, I really don't think, you know, it bothers me that much. No, and nor should it. And it's not much of an accent. The point is these dog patch aristocrats, you know, Abby and the gang, this is what they do. And if they want to continue that, that's fine. I'm sure it carries a lot of weight in little old Warwick. Go outside of here. You're another trailer park, Whitey. Well, I'm coming uh, back to yet another uh, definition that you uh, coined. Uh, so, uh, and being Warwickian or not Warwickian, I believe I strongly uh, believe in 
being a wildcat. Uh, sure, wildcat. <laughs> and I think that that's uh, how, uh, from now on, it, it does it for me. This is how you get defined. Uh, but being here, uh, doing something good for the community, paying taxes, having your kids go through the school. It's all that counts, your actions. Exactly. Actions exactly. count. And, you know, that's, sadly, that's where we see this as sort of a microcosmic model of what's occurring nationally. People are less interested in actions than they are in symbols, than they are in gestures. Gestures are nice, actions make a difference. And you've made a beautiful difference in Warwick, and uh, your in certainly will be an action toward the betterment. Of, I hope so. Uh, oh, we have a, a very good ideas. Uh, in fact, some of them are superlative and haven't been used or utilized before. And the, I had a chance, actually, and been asked to uh, put up the similar uh, hospitality hotel in, in the nearby municipalities. Uh, and uh, I still would like Warwick to take that uh, sort of pride in having it first. Yeah, and it, it really fits the Warwick, uh, you know, the Warwick model of being the foremost in modern thinking. You know, War Warwick is sort of, it's incredible. It almost, the village can feel like a college town, you know, really hip, et cetera, without actually having a university here. There are a lot of cool things about it. And here you're doing something that will bolster that. Yeah. So hopefully, uh, once again, uh, we get uh, people listening. If anybody disagrees or would like to ask a question, so you have a chance to call in, have it to hear it from firsthand, so to speak. And uh, thank you for tuning in. I think we're coming to an end of uh, another program. Please tune in on Monday. Jay is going to have a beautiful, uh, very interesting guest. Uh, we're not going to tell who that is today, but I hope you're all tuning in Mondays, 11 to 12. For yes. Tales and Trails. Yes, Tales and, and Trails. And once again, right we're looking forward to talk to you uh, Saturday, 11 to 12 on Free Speech. Thank you, everybody who tuned in. Thanks, Stephen.